Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Life isn't always fair. It's not always easy. And when those times happen, you know, that's where we we learn to stand on God's promise. You know, and so the next couple of weeks, what we are doing as a church is we are um, learning to love the Word, to learn the Word, and to live the Word. Basically, the words of that uh, message in music. But here's what I've learned is that there are things that we want to do, but we don't always do them. Am I the only person that, you know what, I felt like I needed to exercise more, but I found myself not exercising more? Um, how about this? Uh, you know that maybe I should eat a little healthier, but I don't eat a little healthier. Yeah. Um, Maybe I should read God's Word a little bit more, but I find myself not reading God's Word a little bit more. You know, and, and what's interesting is, if you think about it, that when we don't do those things, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's eating a healthy lifestyle, or it's reading more of God's Word, it's not that we can't do those things, because we all have the ability to do them. It's not that we don't want to. I mean, all of, many of you just raised your hand that I would like to be able to do this. And, and I believe that it's, it's not because we don't think that it's important. I think that every one of those things that I mentioned, all of us recognize that those are important. Those are good things to do. But yet we still don't do them. And, and if I were to put you on the spot bring you up here, put the microphone in your hand and ask you why is it that you don't go to the gym or you don't eat healthier or you don't spend more time in the Word, almost every one of you would give the same answer. And that is, I don't have enough time. And unfortunately, the reality is this, that all of us, have the exact same amount of time, we have 168 hours in a week. Every one of us. Doesn't matter if you are fully employed, if you've got four jobs, if you don't have a job. Doesn't matter if you're in school or if you are done with school. All of us wake up, all of us go through each week, and we have 168 hours. Now, so what I did was I did a little bit of math. And, and I use the extremes, and, and so here's what I want. I just want to do this public math with you. I know that's dangerous, all right? So if I'm wrong, wait and tell me um, as you're walking out. Um, but all of us start with 168 hours a week. And let's just say, let's just say that each of us sleeps seven hours a night. Uh, yeah, some of you are like, I wish. And, and um, some of you are like, I wish I would wake up after seven hours. But if, if each of us slept an average of seven hours, that's 49 hours over the seven days, 
you take that away from 168, that leaves you with 119. All right, well, you know, most of us work and most jobs uh, take up 56 hours. I mean, I'm, I'm being aggressive here, all right? And so some of you I know, you work 80 hours and you should stop, all right? Some of you don't and you should start. Um, but the rest of us, probably the average in, an average work week is 56 hours that are d- dedicated to our job. And if you take that away from 119, that leaves you with 63 hours. Now, um, most of you probably drive to work. You don't walk. You don't take a buggy anymore. And so the average commute for everybody, and again, I'm using an extreme here, would be seven hours a week that we spend driving back and forth to our work. And so now that takes that 63 hours and drops it down to 56 hours. Well, you know what? Life happens. You have to run errands. You've got to go to the store. You've got to go shopping. Um, and so the average probably is about 13 hours per week that we spend running errands, doing shopping, chores like that. Well, now that 56 hours is no longer 56. It's 43. And most of us probably spend some quality time with our family. Let's just say on average it's 20 hours. I know that's probably high. But let's just say it's 20 hours and we take 20 from 43, we are now left with 23 hours. All right, you guys are smart. Now, if I take, have you, you've, you've heard us talk about the hashtag 165 or seize the 165. And, and what that is, taking three hours away from a, an average week, because most of us spend an average of three hours here at church. It may be on Sunday, it may be on Sunday in a, in a day during the week, it just average, um, we spend about three hours. And so if you take those three hours away from the the 23, that leaves us each with 20 hours. Now, I would bet that I I did that math. Many of you say, oh, I don't sleep that much, or I sleep a lot more than that, or I don't work that much, or I work a lot more than that, or, you know, I don't commute that much, or I commute a lot more than that. But at the end of the day, I think that all of us can safely say that if we did an accounting of our week, that we have enough time. You know, just on that, I find 20 hours in a very busy week. And so if I say that I can't go to the gym, I can't eat healthy, I can't read God's word, I'm really just saying that. The empirical evidence isn't there. The data just doesn't back it up. But the problem is that we surround ourselves that, with people who live in that same environment. And, and when we say, I'm busy and I just don't have enough time, what do they say to us? You're right, I'm busy, I don't have enough time. And so we just kind of feed the machine. And so, you know, what I would argue is that it's this. That we'll never find the time to do things. We always have to make time. You know, um, you just don't find time laying around where you pick it up and you're like, ooh, you know what, I'm going to do something with this. The reality is all of us have 168 hours. The reality is all of us have desires that we want to accomplish. And the reality is that most of us don't do it. But it's not because we don't have enough time. What happens is we allow two things to really take over our lives. The first one is time drains. 
Time drains are technology. Oh, how many people have ever um, went to research something on Google, and three hours later you found yourself reading an article about stripes on a zebra? I don't know why it does that, but I mean, you, you just start, I mean, you were looking for something very, in, you know, you, you wanted to do the inch to centimeters conversion or something like that. And an hour or two or three later, you find yourself wondering, what did you do at the time? Technology, you know, technology is designed to be a tool that we can leverage to use, but it's also something that can take and be a thief of our 168 hours, if we allow it to be. You know, another thing that we do uh, way too much is that is worry. This is another time drain. You know, am I the only person in this church that worries? Yeah, I think that we're gifted. We have the ability to find problems before they ever happen. We have the ability to see the cloud inside the silver lining every day of the week. But yet we still worry. We still find ourselves thinking about things that we shouldn't be thinking about, worrying about things that will never happen, but yet we do it. Another thing that we allow to get in our way is what I call time confetti. Have you, how many people like confetti? If, if you had a cleanup after, you didn't raise your hand. I know that. <laughs> All right. Um, but, you know, sometimes we spend our time like it's confetti. Where we just throw it up, and then it just comes down and makes a mess. And and we give it away in 15-minute chunks and 30-minute chunks and hour chunks. You know, it's almost like you're on an Oprah Winfrey show. You get 15 minutes and you get 15 minutes and you get 15 minutes. And then at the end of the day, we're like, where did all the day go? But what we find out is that we just treated it like confetti. We just throw it up and we never really used it, invested in it. What does time confetti look like? Vegging out. Now, folks, I'm guilty of this. Carrie will tell you that there is many times where I've come in, I've sat on the couch. Matter of fact, we have, we packed it together. All right, we're just going to veg tonight. And, and, and I'm not talking about what I wanted on the plate at dinner. But the bottom line is that we give it away. And here's the reality that this is true for all of us. The number of hours is fixed. Every one of us in this room have 168 hours. The difference is the quality of our time. So some of you are very good with your time and you manage it very well. Some of you are the confetti, throwing it just wherever it goes and when it lands, it's okay. And some of you are caught with the time drains of whether it's technology or worry or whatever, it's just you lose the time. So what I want to do today is I want to take us into week two of 40 Days in the Word or And I want to share with you a new Bible study method called Picture It. So last week I talked about pronounce it and how that you just take one verse and you went through the verse over and over again and you pronounced a different word. Well, this week I want to teach you a concept called picturing it. And I think that you'll find out that it's very powerful. It's very powerful for us as human beings and I'll explain that as I go further. But before I get there, I want to share with you three things. I want to live in the zip code of four, or the area code of 446, all right? I want to share with you four privileges of having a quiet time. Then I want to share with you four essential elements of having a quiet time. And then I want to share with you six steps of having a quiet time, all right? So let's start off with the four privileges of having a quiet time. Here's the first privilege. We get to give devotion to God. 
And you're like, well, that's not quite what I was thinking about when I was thinking about a privilege of having quiet time. Well, the Bible tells us in Revelation 3.20 this. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Do you realize that? That every morning when you wake up, your creator, the creator of the world, says, here I am. See, a lot of times as Christians, we read that verse and we think about that first time where we ask Jesus into our hearts. And we forget that every day we have the opportunity to open up the door to our Savior. We also have the opportunity to ignore who's knocking at the door. So the first privilege is that we have the opportunity to give devotion to God. The second uh, privilege that we have is that we get to give direction or get direction from God. Now, I don't know if I was getting directions from somebody. I'd, I'd want to get them from somebody who knew where they were going. And uh, I don't remember the name of the movie, but I, I do recall th- this scene. And uh, the guy was driving down the road. And he was out in the middle of nowhere, and um, he was lost. Now, I, I know, ladies, you're probably going to be shocked, but... Every once in a while, we as men get lost. And probably every time that we get lost, we refuse to ask for directions. But, but folks, this guy was different. He was special. Because he, he realized, he's in the middle of nowhere, I'm lost. And, and so he saw this, he come up on this house, and, and there weren't many houses out in this area. It wasn't a neighborhood. But he saw this uh, house just a little bit back from the road and a guy sitting on the porch. And so he stops, he rolls down his window, and he yells to the guy on the porch. He goes, which direction? Hey, hey, Bob, which direction is in the town that he was looking for? And a guy didn't answer him, and so he drove on, and he's still lost. So he come back, and he came by the same house. And so he roll, rolls out down the other side of the window, and he yells out again, hey, Bob! You know, where is, which direction, or can you get, point me in the direction? And so the guy said, uh, how do you know my name's Bub? And he says, I guessed. And then he told him, well, just guess which way the, that town is. <laughs> That's why we don't stop and ask for directions, lady. But here's what we can do is we can get our directions from God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. Here it is. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall make your path straight. Now, wouldn't it be nice to have, I mean, have you ever gotten on 64, and don't you like the way that that road, I mean, it does have some bends and turns, but do you realize what it was like before it was 64? It wasn't as straight as that. And see, that's what God does. When we go to him and we seek time with him in uh, devotion he makes our life like it's interstate highway he makes it straight for us so not only do we get to give our devotion to God not only do we get to get direction from God but we also get to gain delight in God Psalm 16 verse 11 says it this way you fill me with joy in your presence if you've never spent a quality time with God, you probably don't know what that is like. Matter of fact, most of us only spend time in God's word when the wheels of life have fallen off, when we're desperate. And let me ask you this. 
in those times when you have been desperate and God's word spoke to you, do you understand what that, that joy felt like? Yeah. Do you realize that we could experience that every day? Every day he stands at the door and knocks. The question is, are we going to open up the door? And the last uh, privilege that we have for a quiet time is this, that we get to grow more like God. Now, there's no mistake about this, that five years from now, the only difference between who you are today, here in 2019, and who you're going to be in October of 2024 is the books you read and the people you meet. The only difference between who you are today and who you're going to be five years from today is the books you read and the people you meet. When you have a quiet time, you get, a, get two birds with one stone. You get a book to read. Matter of fact, you get 66 of them. And you get to meet somebody who can change your life. And ultimately, five years from now, if, you, if we are spending time in God's word, we'll find out that we're more Christ-like. But if we avoid it, if we find that we don't have enough time, we'll probably find that we're not more Christ-like five years from today. So that's the four privileges. Let me share with you the four essentials when it comes to having a quiet time. And the first one is this, that we have to start with a proper attitude. I don't know if you remember, but in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when I shared with you that story about uh, David being uh, selected to be the king, this is what God said to Samuel. And it says, the Lord does not look at the things that a man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, and I think, you know, it's funny how that we are so quick to look at other people and see beyond their outward appearance, see beyond the circumstances, and we see who they are. We see their heart. And, like, and, we, make, and we, we, we put all the other things away, and we appreciate them for who they are because of their heart. Well, God is no different. When he looks at us, he looks at us based on what's in our heart. Now, I said that we look at other people and we give them a pass. But here's the problem. We look in the mirror and guess what we don't do? We don't give ourselves a pass. We look in the mirror and we see all the flaws. We see all the sins. We see all the shortcomings. And then we don't give ourselves the same credit, the same grace that we extend to the person sitting next to us. So we start with a proper attitude, and for us to have a quality uh, time with God or a quiet time with God, another central element is to select a specific time. Now I know this is the question that's running around in each of your heads, and that is, well, when's the best time? I mean, there, there are lots of times that I could have a quiet time with. When's the best time? And the answer is very simple. The best time is the time when you are at your best. How many people are morning people? How many people would like to slap those people? Okay, you're not morning people. And so the, the reality is this, that some of us wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and we're happy. And some of us at 9 o'clock at night turn into a wet gremlin. Bad things happen. Whereas some people at night, they, you know what, they could go until 2 in the morning and go to sleep and it doesn't bother them. But you ask them to wake up before 9 in the morning and they're like, you know, coming out with a shotgun. Who, who said that? 
And the reality for you is, when are you at your best? Are you at your best in the morning? Are you at your best in the afternoon? Are you at your best in the evening? Find that out, and that's when you need to make your quiet time. So do we start with a proper attitude? We select a specific time, and we need to choose a special place. You know, when it comes to having a special place, there is something that happens to each of us because when you have a special place, you have an emotional connection with that. All right? So many of you know that um, last year, December 29th, I lost my father. But before that, the two years before, I got to go see him about 18 times. And every time I went to go see him, we went to the Dairy Queen in Hinton, West Virginia. And we would come back and, and people were like, why are you driving an hour and 15 minutes to go to Dairy Queen? There's seven of them before you get there. It's like, yeah, but this Dairy Queen had the best hot dogs in the world. Their chili cheese dog, I mean, it was special. And, and then what I found out was that I'd come back for another trip and, and somebody say, hey, I went to Hinton, West Virginia. I went to the Dairy Queen. I had the chili cheese dog, and they weren't that special. And, and, the, and the truth of the matter was, there was nothing special about the chili cheese dogs. What was special was the place. See, that was a place where when I was just eight years old, my dad took me fishing along that river. That was the place where um, I spent hours with my dad, with my mom, with my grandparents. And so for me, even though it was an hour and 15 minute drive, and even though it was maybe one of the most unhealthy hot dogs that I could possibly eat, and I always ate more than I should, it was a special place. And the reality is this, for you to have a good, quiet time, you need to have a place. You know, your place doesn't have to, in itself doesn't have to be special, it's the value that you place on it. Many of you, it may be that drive to work. That's the time where you think the clearest and, and you can spend quality time with the Lord. Some of you, it may be um, immediately after you wake up or right after you have a shower or after that first cup of coffee. Some of you, it may be um, in the middle of the day. For whatever reason, you are different and you function better. And at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you can have a quiet time with the Lord that is immeasurable. Or maybe it's in the evening. When some of us, if we try to study the Bible after 9 o'clock... All we do is get good sleep. You, that's when the, the word of God jumps out at you. And when you find that time and you find that place and you put those two together, you'll find that you have an incredible quiet time. See, Jesus himself had a quiet time. Luke 22 tells us this, that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. This is where he would spend time in prayer. This is where he would spend time reading the scripture. This is where he would spend time finding out what the Father's will was for his life. And what's interesting is, if you know anything about the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives, you act, if you're up on the Mount of Olives, you're actually looking out over Jerusalem and you're looking over the temple. So we start with the proper attitude. We select a specific time. We find that special place. And then the next thing is that we follow a simple plan. Here's the truth. 
that when we fail to make a plan, we basically are planning to fail. If you don't have a study, a Bible study method set up, you probably aren't studying the Bible. And so um, when it comes to finding a simple plan, here, here's the answer. What's the best plan? I mean, there's a lot of those out there. Boy, I tell you what, Google is your friend if you want to find different methods to study the Bible. But the reality is this, the best one is the one that you're going to do. The best one for me might not be the best one for you. The best one for you may not be the best one for the person sitting beside you. The one that you will do, though, is absolutely the best time, the best one. So let me share with you the six steps for a quiet time. First thing is that you need to wait on God. I would encourage you that if you set a time aside and you find that place, the first couple of minutes, you just be quiet. You stop everything that you're doing and you allow all of the, the things of the world to quiet down and just let it stop. Quit looking at a screen and then once you spend those few minutes, pray briefly. And I'm going to give you two different Bible verses that you could pray The first one is out of Psalms 139, and it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That's worry. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And the second verse is Psalm 119, verse 18, and it says this, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Before you open up God's word, these are prayers that you should be praying. Asking God to show himself. So we wait on God. We spend two or three, five minutes. Then we pray briefly. And then we read a section of scripture. What kind of... I'll share this with you. It doesn't matter. Is it a book? Is it a chapter? Is it a verse? It's up to you. What are you ready to digest? What can you fit into your schedule? What are you willing to invest in? That's the right answer. So we wait on God, we pray briefly, we read a section of scripture, and then we need to find some that we can meditate and memorize. You know, last week I shared with you that meditate was to murmur, to say it over and over again, using and actually saying it out loud. Memorize. You guys did much better this week with the memory verse. I mean, I can't wait till next week. I think that, you know, you guys are probably going, I mean, matter of fact, I'm expecting Jacob to have to say, not so loud this time. All right. Um, but we as Christ's followers, we need to be memorizing. We need to be hiding God's word in our heart. So we wait on God. We pray briefly. We read a section of scripture. We meditate and memorize that portions of that section. And then we write down what God has shown us. Why do we write things down? Because if we don't, we're only going to remember 10% of it. If we do write it down, that what we write down, we'll remember up to 50%. And then... We pray. This is where 1 Peter 5, 7 comes in. It says this, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares for you. So as you read that book, that chapter, that verse, and then when God speaks to you and you write that down, when you close your eyes and when you go back to the throne, to your Savior, to the Creator of the world, that's what you take back to Him. Maybe you read a verse and, and, there, and there's a commandment for you to follow and you're struggling, having a hard time doing that. Take that to God. Allow Him to share with you. Because what First Peter tells us is to give all of our worries and cares. 
Why do we give them over to God? Because he cares about you. So last week I shared with you the pronounce it method. This week I'm going to share with you the picture it method. And so if you would, turn in, in your Bibles to the book of Mark, in the 15th chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one right in front of you in the pew. The words are not going to be up on the screen for this one, but what I want to do is I want to read. There's 20 verses here that I want to read to you. And then I want to show you how that you can use the picture method of Bible study. And so Mark chapter 15 and verse 21, I'm going to start reading. It says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was in the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed in myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, the soldier that was responsible for the crucifixion, who stood facing him, saw in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And so what you do with the picture method is you read a passage like this, and then you put yourself in the passage. Maybe as you read that, you think you could be Simon, and you're just walking through town with your two sons, Alexander and Rufus, and one of the soldiers grabs you and tells you, carry that cross. What are you going to do? You're going to carry the cross. What are you going to be thinking about while you're carrying that cross? Where are my sons? Maybe you don't put yourself in the siren, Simon of Cyrene's position. Maybe you find yourself as one of the soldiers. Maybe you're there casting lots for the garments of Jesus. Maybe you're there um, making the sign that, that mocks him, but yet it told the truth. 
Maybe you're the one who wins Jesus' garment. Maybe you're not one of the soldiers. Instead, maybe you find yourself as one of the passerbys who wag their head and, and remember all everybody was talking about Jesus. Everybody was talking about how that Jesus said, I will destroy the temple and in three days bring it back up. And they throw those words back at Jesus as he's hanging on the cross for six hours. Maybe you're not a passerby. Maybe you're a bystander and you question, what is he saying? Is he saying Elijah He's calling on the prophet Elijah? Because this is one of the things the Israelites expected Elijah to return one day. Maybe you're the person that carried the sponge and tried to give him something to drink. Maybe you find yourself the chief priest or one of the scribes and you ridicule him. You saw him save people. You saw him heal people. Your heart burned when he spoke words to you. And here he is hanging on the cross, helpless. And you throw those words back at him. Maybe you're one of those at a distance. Maybe you're like Mary Magdalene who'd been forgiven so much by him. And your heart is torn too. To watch him be treated this way. Maybe you identify as his mother. It's your son. And for six hours you watch him suffer and struggle. Maybe, just maybe, you picture yourself as one of those thieves. One thief... I don't know what life had done to him. I don't know why he had committed the crimes that he had committed. But that thief railed accusations against Jesus. Utter profanities, curse words, anything that he could think of. He was a hurt person. And his last words, the last effort out of his body when he's about to die, and he's just spewing hatred and wickedness, On Jesus. I don't know if you know it, but the other thief, the Bible tells us, at some point while they're hanging there on that cross during that six-hour period, he realizes there's something different about this guy. And he says these words. (laughs) He goes, that guy and, and I, we deserve exactly what's happening to us. He knew what he had done. He knew what he had lived, what he had said, what he had thought, who he had hurt. And when he looked at Jesus, he said, he doesn't deserve this. And when he did that, at some point, Jesus looks over to him. And the very act that Jesus was living out, he says, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. There's no sweeter words that anybody could hear. 
You know, and I don't know who you identified with in that story. But the truth of the matter is that all of us are either the thief on the right hand or the thief on the left hand. And all of us have one of two responses to what Jesus did. We can refuse to believe it. There's no way he's the son of God. There's no way he was born of a virgin. There's no way that he's the one who created this world. He wouldn't let all this stuff happen to him. And so what we do is we hurl our anger at Jesus. We hurl our anger at God. We question him. How could you let this happen to a little child? How could you let my loved one experience this? And we hurl those words at God. Or we find ourselves on the other cross. And at some point in our life, we realize, I'm guilty. I'm the sinner. I'm the thief. I'm the one who needs to be up on this cross, not him. And the truth of the matter, my friends, is the reason why Jesus was on that cross was for you. And today, he stands at the door and he's knocking. He's standing at the door and he's knocking and he's asking you to open up. And if you'll open up, I'll come in and I'll dine with you and I'll have fellowship with you. Are we going to continue to be the thief on the cross that hurls accusation at our Savior? Or are we going to be the thief on the cross who recognizes? Gary's about to sing a song of imitation. And here's what I would challenge you. Who are you in that scene? When you look at your life, which one of those positions best describes where you're at right now? And most importantly, what are you going to do about it? He'll sing through this one time. The words will be on the screen. If you want to sing along, do that. If you want to be in prayer, I challenge you to do that as well. But what I would encourage you is don't leave here today just a member of that scene. Leave here today knowing that what Jesus did on that cross wasn't in vain. You see, I know that he lives in my heart. And I know that when I take my last breath, that instant, that moment, I'll be with him. If you don't know that, I'll be up here at the front. I'd love to show you how you can. If you would stand and... As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.